0: Well, uh, so last week we kind of made it through uh, Malachi chapter 1, and then got into Malachi chapter 2, and uh, like I said, last, last week was a lot, It's kind of a whirlwind trip through those two chapters, but for the rest of the study we should be able to kind of slow down and take it a little bit at a time. And so what we're going to do this week is back up um, uh, into chapter 2 and look at verses 4 through 7. You know, last week we looked at... Uh, those first uh, couple of chapters really were an indictment on the priesthood and God uh, was really slamming the priesthood for their unfaithfulness and for their uh, treachery, uh, not holding to God's word, not taking care of the people, not offering acceptable offerings, not uh, you know not being good priests basically uh, misleading the people. and so we, we kind of looked at all the negative aspects of that last week and we never got to the positive. and so what I want to do tonight is start out looking at, what a true priest looks like so that's going to be kind of in the middle of chapter uh, uh, this first part of chapter 2 right here so we're going to read Malachi 2 verses 4 through 7 real quick and then take a look at that okay so Malachi 2 4 through 7 says so shall, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand says the Lord of hosts my covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him Covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard the knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so, uh, in this little in-between part, uh, you know God is telling the priest, "You have been unfaithful in this," and below it he says, "You've been unfaithful in this." But right here in the middle he goes back to the example of Levi, the original you know, priest that the Lord had uh, selected to be his, uh, his priestly clan there in the nation of Israel. And he says, this is what a, this is what a priest should look like. And he gives us uh, five characteristics that I wanna kind of bring out to you, okay? The first one is this, that a true priest is in a relationship with God, okay? Um, now you may think, well, duh, that just makes sense, right? That you know, it makes sense that a true priest should be in a relationship with God. Well, let's just think about this in today's culture. Um, you know, there are church denominations today where uh, they're ordaining homosexual priests. Uh, they're ordaining, uh, you know, priests who have clearly said things against the Scripture that the Scripture is not the word, true word of God. That it has errors in it. That it is suggestions rather than, you know, commands for life. And, and there's, you know, they so they really uh, downplay the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, So there's some denominations who, becoming a pastor or ordained minister in some of these denominations really doesn't mean a whole lot. And so you may wonder, you know, are these priests truly in a relationship with God? Because they're living, obviously, counter to what the scripture says. And I'm not just talking, I'm not here to downplay, all sin is sin. Um, But every pastor struggles with sin, just like every church member struggles with sin. I struggle with sin, Brother David struggles with sin, you know, we all struggle with sin in some way. Um, but whenever I look at scripture and I see my sin in scripture, it convicts me. Whenever some of these, you know, whenever somebody, whether they're a priest or not a priest, looks at scripture and they can see their sin in scripture and they just keep going and it never bothers them whatsoever, well then there's some fruit in their life that's missing. They're not experiencing that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid we're seeing that a lot in, in some denominations today. And so the Lord is saying here that a priest should be in a relationship with Uh, With God, he says in verse five, my covenant was with him, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. And so that's just an example of how Levi responded to the covenant, uh, you know, the the covenant with the the Lord. Uh, How that that, the the true priest uh, of Levi uh, responded to a covenant with the Lord, and so he feared the Lord, he followed the Lord, he obeyed the Lord. And so a true priest should be in a in a uh, relationship with God the next one is this a true priest stands in reverence and awe of God verse five what i just read uh, my covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him It was a covenant of fear and he feared me he stood in awe of my name uh, that word all uh, the Hebrew word uh, literally means uh, a shuddering or a shattering and so you know uh, you whenever you understand the magnitude of God it, it kind of causes you to shudder in your core or it kind of breaks you down it makes you a broken person because you realize your sinfulness um, you know you're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 6 you know those uh, first first verses there in Isaiah chapter 6 um, where he's uh, before you know he has a vision where he goes before the, the Lord and he sees the Lord in his temple and it says the train of his robe fills the uh, uh, fills the temple and the angels were around him saying holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and the the room is filled with smoke and it trembles as they sing it you know just a magnificent mighty kind of appearance of being there in the presence of God we all remember what Isaiah says he falls on his face and he says uh, woe is me for I'm a sinner I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and so whenever he says woe is me that that Hebrew word woe means literally I'm coming undone or I am undone it means that literally I'm coming apart at the seams um y'all remember y'all you ever watch Hulk Hogan you know, some of y'all were wrestling fans, right? No? No, but y'all just don't want to admit Gorgeous it. Gorgeous George know, I, know, <laughs> <laughs> I know that Miss Calhoun was a wrestling fan. I know it. So. Uh, anyway, y'all remember what Hulk Col- Hogan would do whenever he came out in the ring? He'd walk out there, you know, with this this man shoe beard, he'd rip his sheet you know, he'd pull his shirt apart. Well that's kind of the word that Isaiah uses as he describes his feeling in the presence of the Lord. It's like he's literally ripping apart the holiness of God and he, a sinful person, in the presence of a holy God, God can see right through him. God is just ripping apart his life because God can see every little aspect of his life that is unholy. And he realizes to be a sinner in the presence of a holy God is to be dead in an instant. Uh, And so he he realizes that. So that's kind of what this is saying. A true priest stands in reverence and awe of God. We are Truly aware of our sinfulness when we're in the presence of God, and so as a sinful person, you don't uh, just trample on the holiness of God. You don't, you know, throw your sinfulness in the face of the Lord and, and not really care about it. You know, act as if nonchalant. Um, one of the popular T-shirts in recent years with the among the teenagers was a picture of Jesus on the front of it. and said, "Jesus is my homeboy," and uh, you know, Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not your bro. He's not your buddy. You know, God is a holy guy. And we have to recognize him as a holy God. And we have to give him the reverence that he is he's due. Um, you know, I don't know if y'all know this over here. This is my dad, my mom, you know, over here. Um, even I know that they look super young. Um, just I'll throw that out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is my mom and dad. But um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid of my mom and dad. You know, because dad was pretty good with the belt when I was growing Okay. Mom was even better with a belt, especially when those elastic belts. You know, she could really get one of those things going uh, Y'all remember those elastic belts I you had, know, growing up? Um, but, you know, growing up, I, I'm not, I was not a perfect child. Is that correct? <laughs> you know, not have, have to agree so, you not have to agree so much. But I knew that one thing was true. If I got in trouble at school, what was going to happen when I got home? I was going to get in trouble again when I got home. You know, I didn't have those parents that were just, eh, you know, whatever, whatever. I remember one time I got in, major trouble at home I mean I mean major trouble at school like I pretty much thought I was gonna get killed when I got home and uh, and I remember you know I was in trouble I was in the principal's office and I was thinking I'm gonna die I'm gonna die die." (laughs) and uh, and I was not really worried about the principal I was worried about I was worried about him (laughs) and uh, when I got home dad was up in his shop and I just walked up the hill of the shop head down and uh, I just walked in, I was just like, here's my life, you know, and that, it, it's over, and uh, and I think, and that was the one time where dad looked at me, he's like, you know what you did was wrong, and I was like, yes sir, you know, and I was thinking, here it comes, here it comes, and he's like, alright, I think you've learned your lesson, you know, and I was just kind of like, oh, you know, but when I was walking up that hill, there was a fear, you know, I knew that I literally was not going to die, but I knew that figuratively I was probably about to die, well that's how we are with the Lord, you know, we realize that, Authority is there, power is there, position is there. We have respect for the Lord. I mean, even more so than we have respect for a parent, or respect for a president, or respect for a boss. Uh, we have to live in reverence and fear of God. The next thing is this: a true priest teaches God's word. All right. So verse six through seven says, "True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity." For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So you look at those descriptions. Um, he said he uh, true instruction was uh, was uh, was in his mouth. Okay, so not false instruction. So a, a true priest doesn't stand up and teach false doctrine. Um, a true priest doesn't stand up in a pulpit and say, uh, "If you give the Lord ten dollars, he's going to give you a hundred dollars." Because is that anywhere in Scripture? no, here just a chapter over the Lord says test me in this you know, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and, and see if I will not open up the floodgates of my blessing upon you that word floodgates is the same word that is used to describe when God opened up the heavens and the floods of, the, of Noah came that same exact word um, And so that's, that's coming just a, a, you know, one chapter over so God does promise a blessing in response to a tithe but nowhere does he say that he's going to it's a money blessing you know, that it's like a great, never-ending stock exchange. You give me 10, I give you 100. And That's a pretty good deal, right? But nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It says blessings, but it doesn't necessarily stipulate financial blessings. But there are pastors who say, hey, if you give the Lord $10, he's going to give you $100. You know, send it to me so that I can make sure that I'm the steward of it, right? Uh, and so there's pastors that get up there and, and teach things like that. There's pastors that get up there and, and teach. If you have enough faith, you can be healed from whatever is in your body. And so they would say to Sean Sean if you have enough faith you can be healed but what if that's not the Lord's will for Sean to be healed in that way you know Paul had faith you believe Paul had faith in Christ right and he asked three times that God he had a thorn in his side we don't know what that thorn was whether it was a literal thorn or whether it was you know uh, some person or some group of people we don't know what it was but he asked three times for the Lord to remove it and God's response was my grace is sufficient for he didn't remove the thorn he said my grace is sufficient for you but I guarantee you Paul had enough faith to where if he believed it you know God could do it but God had different plans and so there's some people that teach if you have enough faith that you can do it and if you don't get healed then you didn't have enough faith they put it right back on you and that's not that's not true teaching And so a true priest helps others uh, find truth uh, the truth of God's Word and so true instruction was in his lips. no wrong was on his lips Uh, for the the lips of a priest should guard knowledge okay so should protect the sanctity of God's word you know one thing I love about brother David is he preaches God's word you know brother David doesn't get to a typical passage and say okay we're going to skip this one you know go on to the next one if it's in God's word he's going to preach it he's going to preach it to the best that he can the best that he has understood it um, and he he's going to guard the integrity of the scripture Uh, and that's what I that's what a true a true priest does The next one is this. The true priest helps other people find salvation in God. Um, Find salvation in God. Verse 7, he says that people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Uh, You know, a a true priest or a true pastor should be helping people come to find salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, The whole goal of the priesthood there in the Old Testament was to be a go-between between between, uh, the people and Yahweh. And so in order for me to get my sins forgiven, I had to take my sacrifice to the priest, and that priest offered the sacrifice uh, that was gonna make an atonement for my sin. You know? and, and they did the once, once a year sacrifice, the sacrifice of atonement that was to cover of the whole sins of the whole nation. And so the priest stood in between Yahweh and the people. He was the math, uh, pathway for them to receive forgiveness and to see, receive that, that cleansing of their sin. Uh, so we as as priests or a, a pastor should do the same thing he should teach the instruction and help people find their salvation in Jesus Christ no longer is he a go between necessarily he, you know you don't have to come to me in order to have your sins forgiven but my role as a pastor is to help people find the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ and so that's one of the one of the method uh, the the roles of a priest and then finally the role of a true priest uh, a true priest guards against false teachings. We've already kind of covered that, but that's there in, in verse 7. So, uh, to guard knowledge and uh, not let the, the, the truth of Scripture be perverted by false teachings. And so, uh, skip down real quick to the bottom of your page, and let's look at that first takeaway. Okay, so, first takeaway. It says, we are the new priesthood commissioned to declare the truth about Christ. Okay, so... We are the new priesthood. So if we look at First Peter real quick and, and see what this passage says, I'm just going to read all of it. Um, but First Peter 2, 4 through 25 is a, is talking about us as um, <clears throat> uh, being the, the new priesthood. But I want to read specifically to you um, verse 9. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter is saying, "Hey, look, there's a new type of priesthood now, and you are it." And so, whenever we look at this, we have to take—you know—we have to look at this and read the the instruction to the Levitical or the description of the Levitical priesthood here in Malachi. And we have to be able to find something. You know, where does that apply here in our life? Well, now we are all priests. Um, and and whenever it talks about the priesthood of the believer in Scripture, um, it's not talking about you know Spencer's a priest and Willis is a priest and Melody's a priest. It's talking about the church. The church is the new priesthood. I'm not my own priest to where I can just go off by myself, disengage from the church and have my own relationship with the Lord. Now you know I do have my personal relationship with the Lord, but the priesthood is the gathering of the people of the Lord together. We do have personal contact with the Lord. I don't have to have a go-between to have a relationship with God. But whenever it talks about the priesthood of believers, it's not the priesthood of the individual believers. It's the priesthood of all believers. We are the new priesthood together as the church. And so as the new priesthood, we should have a relationship with the Lord. You know, our church should be in communion with the Lord. We should stand in reverence and awe of God. You know, whenever we worship on Sunday mornings, man, it should just... Cause us as a group of body of believers together to stand in reverence and awe and just amazement at who God is. We should teach God. <laughs> we as the church are the holders of the truth of the Lord. Uh, just because you don't get up and preach on Sunday morning or teach a Bible study class doesn't mean that you are excused from teaching the truth of the Lord. We're all called to teach that truth. We're all called to help people find salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, you know your uh, when you're, your your mission as a believer in Jesus, is to help other people find faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. And then we have to guard against false teaching. Uh, You know, there's lots of misunderstandings of what it means to be a Christian or misunderstandings of scripture out there in your workplace, in your households, in your families, you know, relationships. People are always coming up uh, and believing something that's not found in scripture. Uh, You know, like good old, good old fashioned sayings like God helps those who helps themselves. You ever read that in scripture? No, it's not in there. It's like in Second Sanitations, you know, or Hezekiah or something like that. It's, it's not in there, right? It's not a real, that's not a real quote. But, you know, there's a lot of people that, that think those things. How about God will never give you more than you can bear? Is that in there? No. No. He says he will give you more than you can bear, but he'll also give you, you know, the strength to endure it, you know, the ability to endure it. And so, yeah, God absolutely gives us more than we can bear. But if we trust in him, he's going to see us through it. And so we have to guard against false teachings. So that's the the role of a true priest, and as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is you. And so these are, this is our responsibility as the new priesthood of uh, under the new covenant. This is our role as as priest, as sort of a go between between the world and the Lord. All right. Now let's move forward to verse ten. Okay. So I'm going to read verses ten through sixteen, and this will kind of take us through the end of our study today. So. Picking up in verse ten, uh, uh, Malachi two ten, he says, "Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and ab- an abomination has been committed in Israel <coughs> and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering." to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping, and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, What is he not? Because the Lord has witnessed was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, that she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one uh, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, uh, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. And so in this uh, in this passage, we see three different types of broken relationships that God uh, uh, spells out for us. And so the first one, uh, the first one is this. Israel is... Unfaithful Israel. This is kind of the heading here. Israel's unfaithful nature is revealed in their consistency in breaking relationships. So that's what this one ten through fifteen is kind of about. It reveals Israel's consistent breaking and unfaithfulness in relationships. Um, you know, because God called them out, right? He said to Abraham, "I want you to be my people. and I'm going to be your God. Uh, you know, if you will trust me, if you follow me, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. You won't even be able to to count it." and all throughout Israel's relationship with God, he's calling them to be in a relationship with him. He says, hey, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to love you. I just want you to obey me. Um, And all throughout that, even in their unfaithfulness, God still loves them. Uh, Now, sometimes the love may not look like we want love to look like. Uh, You know, God has to punish Israel because they disobey, but still that punishment comes because of a love relationship that he has. And so Israel's unfaithfulness is, is, is revealed here. and there's three different types that, that God speaks to. The first one is that Israel broke relationship with each other. And so in this passage it's kind of, it's kind of subtle, uh, but uh, Micah is, uh, Malachi, sorry, is describing some of the uh, broken relationship between Judah and Israel. <coughs> he says, "Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And so, he just kind of goes back to the very beginning. That word created is the same word that's there in Genesis 1-1 where it says God created the heavens in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. So he uses that same language to kind of bring it all back to a starting point. Uh, they all had one beginning. And you could go all the way back to Adam if you wanted to. Uh, but for them, probably specifically, they go all the way back to Abraham. You know, whenever you got one beginning point for Israel, that really beginning point is the covenant with Abraham. That's where it all started and that's where the 12 tribes uh, eventually draw their, their their identity back to. You, know, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob split off into the 12 tribes, um, and eventually you get down to uh, a split in that relationship whenever you have the northern kingdom, you know, the kingdoms divide uh, at, some, at one point, and you got the northern kingdom and you got the southern kingdom which is known as Judah and Israel. And, uh, and Judah uh, is unfaithful even more so unfaithful to the Lord than Israel is and they wind up getting captured and conquered first and uh, and then Israel uh, follows suit um, and so they are uh, that God is describing this okay he says uh, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem so Judah has been faithless and Israel has been uh, has been faithless so he says uh an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Israel. And so he's kind of talking about how both of these tribes have been faithless to the Lord, have disobeyed the Lord, um, and uh, they've bickered with one another. They're always fighting with one another. There's, there's disagreements with one another, but he's calling them back to unity. And, uh, and so he's, he's pointing out that they had their broken relationship with one another. Israel split off, Jews split off, and they went their separate ways. They had their own kingdoms. And so, um, so they had a, that broken relationship with, with each other. But they also had a broken relationship with God. All right? So uh, they, they, they profaned the covenant, is what it says. It says in verse 11, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. Verse 10 says that Israel, um, or verse 11 says that uh, there is an abomination that was committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so that, that word abomination has a lot of tie-ins to the Old Testament. Uh, specifically to when uh, uh, Judah began uh, offering sacrifices to idols uh, there in their in their place of worship and so they would they would begin not just following idols not just worshiping idols but literally offering sacrifices to idols um, uh, instead of worshiping the Lord and so they had broken that relationship with God and so he talks about that uh, in, in very specific terms he says that he's profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves He's married the daughter of a foreign god. Uh, and then it says, May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And So, so Malachi does some pretty tricky uh, uh, things here with his language. Okay, So he says that they married the daughters of foreign gods. Uh, now what this refers to is whenever Israel came back into the land, if you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they intermarried with the pagan religious people that were there. Uh, in order to make treaties, in order to make a good covenant with them or try to get in good graces with them, they intermarried with them. And so that was something that was specifically against God's law found in Deuteronomy. You know, God said, do not intermarry with the people and the nations that you're going in to, to conquer. And it wasn't a racism thing. It wasn't because he didn't like people of a certain type of race or certain color and like that. It was strictly because he was trying to keep pure the nation of Israel. He didn't want them intermarrying and having their religion watered down, or having them go off and follow foreign gods. Um, and uh, because that's what happens whenever you marry into a family, you begin, you merge in the characteristics of those two families. Um, you know, it's just that's just nature. And you, you guys who've been married, understand that. You know, there are certain things that maybe you didn't do before, but then when you got married, your husband or your wife enjoyed it, so you started doing that. Um, you know places maybe you never had this type of food or you never uh, went on vacation in these type of places but because your spouse liked that you went and did that and so you know when you marry you merge the beliefs and the likes and the dislikes of two families into one And so god didn't want that taking place in judah yet or in israel uh yet whenever they came back they they did that they intermarried and um Nehemiah calls them on that. He says, "You've intermarried with your with the people of the land, and you weren't supposed to do that." And uh, he calls them to uh, Ezra and Nehemiah both call them to to fix that situation. And so, um, so the Lord is is talking about uh, uses that as an example of their unfaithfulness to the unfaithfulness to the covenant, and So they've broken their relationship with God by doing that. They've broken their relationship with God by intermarrying and watering down their religious worship. And then finally, this last thing, here, Israel broke relationship with his spouses. And this is the one that uh, is in some ways kind of hard to uh, hard to believe. Um, it says that uh, uh, verse fourteen, uh, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. And uh, verse 14 for the man who does not love uh, 16 sorry for the man who does not love his wife and divorces her says the Lord the God of Israel covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts uh, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless and so they had broken relationship with their spouses uh, some of these people have literally come back to the land of Israel divorced their wives so they could marry foreign wives and so they had they, they had you know just think about uh, he refers to it specifically as the wife of your youth, and so they had married, you know, young age, and you know enjoyed all the uh, the fruits of marriage. They had gone through life together for a time, and all of a sudden they get over here to Israel and they divorce them, and they go and they marry somebody else. Now, I don't know if this is a midlife crisis or what, but basically what they have done in that kind of situation, you know, in today's culture, a spouse whose divorce is protected under certain guidelines of the law. Um, if you are a uh, you know, let's just say a stay-at-home mom, you take care of the kids, and you don't have a career. You know, you've, you've been, your livelihood is dependent on your husband or your spouse. Uh, well then, whenever you, if your husband chooses to divorce, uh, then you get something called alimony, you know, uh, where you get a little bit of money each month from your husband to kind of help, your former husband to kind of help offset that. You didn't have that kind of protection in, uh, in that day and time. Uh, if you got a divorce, then you were basically destitute, and cut off. And you had to return back home to your uh, father's house in shame and he had to take care of you. But most of these people were coming out of bondage, they're coming out of slavery, you know, in Babylon. And so they didn't have families to go back to, they didn't have fathers and mothers to go back to. They were now in a to them a foreign land. They've been taken from Babylon and now they're going back to Israel. And so if you go there and you divorce, all of a sudden you have no one to fall back on. You're a destitute. You have to go live on the street. You have nowhere to go. And so that's one of the reasons why this was such a shameful act in the, in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't, I mean, that divorce was already a shameful act, but they were basically just leaving destitute these women that they had covenanted with uh, in the sight of the Lord. And that's why God says, I was there. You know, verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Uh, he was witness, verse 14, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Uh, who was your wife by covenant so God had witnessed them and they were just throwing them off and so these are three ways that Israel was being rebellious and and breaking these uh, these relationships so God calls them on that but he doesn't leave it there he leaves hope for renewal so that's where I want to finish up tonight verses 15 through 16 he says um, so did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union and what was the one God seeking godly offspring so guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife and divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. And so there's, there's three things here uh, that we can see that I think are, even for us today, uh, a hope for renewal. The first one is this. Strive for a godly family. All right? Strive for a godly family. In verse 15 uh, God shows what His desire was uh, in this marriage relationship, and so whenever these two uh, members of the nation of Israel got married, what was God wanting out of that? And he says very clearly here: godly offspring. And so even in today's in today's world, uh, you know the goal in a Christian marriage is godly offspring. Uh, you know, godly children. Uh, we, we need to raise our kids in the you know, fear and admonition of the Lord. Is what the King James Version says you know just the fear and the knowledge and the understanding of what it means to follow Christ um, I'm thankful that I had godly parents to teach me how to follow Jesus and um, you know I definitely have not been perfect in that but if it weren't for their foundation um, you know I wouldn't have been able to follow the Lord like I have been able to uh, many of you have children that you are thankful that you raise them in the knowledge and the understanding of Jesus Christ so that they and now they're living that out and you know now you've got testimonies of grandkids who are living that out and willis and mary were sharing us about hannah is, is going off to waco this you know this next weekend to uh, begin her master's program and, you know we prayed with her through last summer she went through to thailand to do mission work there in thailand and you know that's a testimony not just to her kids uh, i mean, not just to her parents and their discipleship that's a testimony of willis and mary and them Instilling the truth of, of love of Jesus Christ in their kids, that then has made fruit in Hannah's life, and which will in, in, invariably produce fruit in Hannah's kids' life. And so, Willis and Mary's great grandkids are going to have uh, the fruit of their faithfulness. And so, that's what, <coughs> that's what we want in, in, uh, in our families. And so, we should strive as Christians, strive for a godly family, because that is going to bring about renewal <coughs> in the church. And, you know, one of the ways that the Muslim religion is growing. Uh, one of the reasons it's outgrowing Christianity is because they have a lot more kids than we do. You know, they might have six, seven, eight kids, whereas the average Christian household in America has like what 2.4, 2.5, something like that. I don't know if they're doing that 0.4 or 0.5 kid, um, <laughs> you know, but that's the average it's 2.4 <laughs> kids or something like that in, a, in an average household. And that's not even enough to maintain, uh, right, maintain our civilization. I think Uh, I think I read somewhere where it's about you have to have a birth rate of like 2.8 or something. Um, And as Christians, we don't have that birth rate. The birth rate in America is right there. Like if it's 2.8, the birth rate in America is like 2.9. But that's taking into consideration uh, all demographics, Christian and non-Christian. So we as an American culture are just barely hanging on. Um, But we as a Christian culture, we are and so we need to uh, strive for God these families. Encourage people to have families, you know? One of the things that, uh, you know, when and I had, all four of our kids were born within five years of each other. When Jackson was born, Preston was five. And uh, we heard a word a lot whenever uh, uh, we were having that, that fourth baby, it was something like, are you crazy? You
1: know?
0: <laughs> and uh, people were like, you know, y'all need to figure out how to kind to of stop this, you know? And, and uh, you know, we are like, hey, the Lord just keeps sending them our way. Uh, but the uh, you know well, that's kind of our attitude a lot of times when somebody has three kids or four kids it's like man you are insane what are you what are you thinking? Whereas you know really the church should be amen. How how can we help? You know we're gonna we're gonna give you free babysitting once a month so you can have date night you know or, or whatever the case is. That's not a bad idea. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, you know but we should encourage large families as as a Christian community. Uh, the scripture says that. Uh, uh, child in the, is like, uh, children are like hand, arrows in the hands of a warrior and blessed is the man who has a quiver for and uh, you know we should seek to have a lot of arrows in our quiver so that we can shoot them out into the world and let them make a difference and so hope for renewal strive for a godly family the next thing is this guard against temptation and ungodliness he says it um, <clears throat> he says it twice in verse, uh, uh, verse 15 he says guard yourselves in your spirit let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth then he says at the end of verse 16 guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithful so he says it twice that we have to guard ourselves so we have to guard ourselves against uh, temptation uh, against uh, getting bored in life I mean you know one of the things that uh, our kids one of our our kids don't use this word a lot but the other day um, Blake came up to me he said I'm bored you know he's he's, uh, five years old now he said I'm bored I said well I got something for you to do your room's a mess go clean it he's like I'm not bored anymore. I'm going to go play <laughs> my toys, you know. And uh, you know they use this these these words, you know. Guard it, you know. They're they're bored, and I mean, they may not know what it means. They might just heard it somewhere. But you know, there's a temptation to boredom. There's temptations to laziness. There's temptations to unfaithfulness. There's temptations to all kinds of vices in our in our culture. Um, we have to guard against those things. You know? We have to guard our families against those things. Guard our marriages against those things because they will destroy our marriage from the inside out and destroy our families from the inside out if we don't guard against them and um, and they're sneaky they're very sneaky Uh, lyrics of songs are one of the sneakiest things and and, uh, TV shows and movies those are some of the sneakiest things that our culture has to influence children and teenagers and get in the middle of families and things like that Um, there was a song that came out A song that came out a couple years ago that was really popular with the kids, and I honestly don't know who sings it, don't know the title of it or anything, but there was just, just one phrase that uh, I remember hearing, and it caught my attention. And uh, this girl was singing and she said, I, I would trade my soul for a wish. And the kids would just sing it, you know, and they're just probably, for the most part, just blowing right past that lyric and not even think about it. But if you really think about what that, what that phrase means, in previous decades, we might have said, I you know, made a deal with the devil i trade my soul to the devil for you know, whatever. That's just a different way of saying it. Trade my soul for a wish. And you begin thinking about that. That's the way that our culture is, is growing up. Where is the moral foundation that they're going to base their decisions off of? But if they would trade their soul for a wish, then what else would they trade for a wish? Because you know, their soul is the most important thing. And so we have to guard against temptation and ungodliness. And the last thing is this. Live with integrity in your relationships live with integrity in relationships he says it twice to to uh, do not be faithfulness so uh, guard yourself in your spirit let none of you be faithless to the life of your youth and then guard yourself in your spirit do not be faithless. so he he says be faithful live integrity with integrity in your relationships and so uh you know jesus might say let your yes be yes and let your no be no. um we have to live with a the character of integrity and in our relationships and obviously we want to live this way with our spouses but this goes I, I believe even beyond this we should take this to our other relationships relationships with work co-workers relationships with our kids relationships with other family members relationships with people that we are in uh, you know other activities with whether it's extra you know whatever extracurricular activities you're involved with living integrity in those relationships um, and I believe you know as I was looking at this this really stuck out to me as being a, a shadow or a mirror of the mission that that Jesus gave us as he left. You know, if you look at Matthew chapter 28, which we know is the, uh, the Great Commission, um, Jesus says this. He says, uh, verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so if you look at that, and then you look at what we just saw here, you can see that this has taking place and talking about um, you know, family relationships and, and relationships with other people, those that we are around. And we see, can kind of see it like this way, striving for a godly family. One of the responsibilities of parents is to disciple our kids. You know, it's not, it's not our children's ministry's job to make sure my kids get saved. There's two people who are responsible for that, and that's me and Millie. It's our responsibility to make sure that our kids know Jesus Christ. Um, it's not your responsibility to make sure my kids know Jesus Christ. It's not you know, Chris Morris or Brother Ed or Tiffany Powell or Barbara and It's not their responsibility to make sure my kids know Christ. Their responsibility as Sunday school teachers is to reinforce what we're teaching them at home, is to give them another voice saying the same thing that we're saying at home. It's our responsibility. And so striving for a godly family shows discipleship um, and so jesus said go and make disciples of all nations and so one of the responsibilities of us uh, for hope for renewal is to begin discipling our kids to begin discipling other people so that more and more people know christ and have a relationship with him the next one guard against temptation and godliness this teaches obedience which is what jesus said in verse 20 teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. So part of the discipleship is teaching obedience, and we as uh, as followers of Jesus Christ need to live in obedience to the Lord, and that's going to in uh, return bring renewal to our churches, renewal to our families, renewal to our country. Uh, you know, if we live, just think about this. Just as just this is the most important thing Jesus said to us, right? You know, you think about it. If the last word that you say to somebody is probably going to be one of the most important things that you say so we have records in all four gospels of Jesus telling us to go and make disciples and we also have it in Acts you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea Samaria and the other most parts of the world this was obviously something that God, Jesus wanted us to understand and so our responsibility is to go and to make disciples so if all of us were living in obedience to that, well, we were, that was our number one thing we thought about every day when we got up this culture would not stand a chance I mean God's spirit would just take over our country and we would see a revival that we've never seen before if the church would just take this uh, responsibility seriously. So we need to be living in obedience and not be tempted away by other things. And then the final thing is living with integrity in your relationships. This is a witness to the world. Jesus said in in, uh, John 17, uh, 21, that our unity, or us living together in the world, having integrity in our church relationship, would be a witness to the world. And because of our unity, everybody else would know and recognize that jesus was sent by god and so one of the best methods of evangelism is unity in the church whenever we could be if we could be a church i'm not talking about our church because our church is a unified church we're on the same target i think we work together as a church team but talking about the church as a whole if we would be unified in our mission everybody else would look at us and say man that's one area in life where i don't see people fighting but whenever they look at the church today, what do they see? They see thousands of different denominations who can't get along. They see Baptist uh, conventions that split in half because they can't agree on little, little parts of, uh, you know, little points of scripture. Um, they see you know all kinds of dissension and, uh, and argumentation going on. Um, and so we just gotta, you know, we need to make sure that we are living with unity in our church And that will be a witness to to the world around us. And so, a few so you can kind of see it this way. Hopefully, renewing our lives and our churches and our country is found in those in the church living missional lives. Whenever I say missional, I just mean that you know realizing that uh, being a disciple, making Christian, uh, being somebody who is passionate about seeing more people come to know Christ, is not something we just do at vacation Bible school It's not something we only do up here on Sunday mornings. It's not something that we only do on mission trips. It's something that uh, influences every decision we make every day. And so we don't look at it as just going to a restaurant and having a a waiter or a waitress or somebody behind the counter. We're thinking, how can I be a messenger of the gospel in this context? You know, how does, I've got five seconds with this person at the cash register. How can I share the love of Christ with them in this five seconds? Um, I'm going to see my grandkids today. I want to love them I want to have a great time what is one way that I can speak the gospel into the lives today Um, I'm going to the hospital to visit a a long-lost friend today what's one way that I can share the gospel with them or speak the love of Christ into the life we think missionally when we realize that every single aspect of our life every day is an opportunity to make disciples and um, I believe that that's what we can see here so a few takeaways we've already said the first one here we are the new priesthood commissioned to declare the truth about Christ very kind of talked about that. This next one is this. How we treat our spouse often betrays how we truly feel about God. You know, throughout this, throughout this passage in Malachi, but especially throughout Scripture, marriage relationship is, always, is often used as a parallel example of our relationship with God. Especially in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. At the very end he says, this is a mystery, but I'm really talking about the church in Christ, you know that, that that is what He's getting here. Is that you know we're supposed to submit to Christ, and this is what Christ did for us. Uh, our marriage relationships really is just a parallel of our relationship with Jesus, and so a lot of times how we treat our spouse is kind of the same attitude that we have towards God, um, because the same character that's in you that you treat your spouse with is the same character that's in you that you treat God with, and so we need to maybe use that as a as a uh, mirror sometime, you know, Sometimes, whenever you treat your wife or treat your husband with disrespect and you recognize it, maybe not only do you need to go apologize to him or her, maybe you need to analyze and say, Lord, have I been treating you with that same kind of disrespect? Because a lot of times our attitudes are mirrored in that way. And then the last one is this, how we live in relationships with others, especially our spouse and family, is a witness to the world around us. Again, this goes to John chapter 17, uh, Matthew five sixteen is where uh, Jesus says that uh, 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 that we are salt and light of the world. We're a city on a hill uh, that cannot be hidden. And it says, let your light shine in such a way that men may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. And so whenever they see us, see our, our life and the way that we live our life with our family, that's going to be a witness to the world around us. of unity of love, of, of faithfulness, and that's going to draw them to Christ. Um, in a world that's hurting, if they see faithful living, they're going to be drawn to Christ. So, um, so some good study here in Malachi chapter two. Uh, we'll we'll get through uh, this last part of two and into chapter three next week. Uh, again, I won't be here, but the good video will be here, and hopefully it'll work good, and, and you guys will have a good time. So, um, hopefully, hopefully we still will see you out here next week. Okay, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to let Wilson and Mary get out of the sun they've been been dodging it for a while I'm telling you we need a curtain. I know it, I know it somebody needs to tell Randy we need one he he needs something else to do around here Lord, we thank you for this uh, evening thank you for everybody who's here tonight I pray that you will just bless bless the study of your word, Lord and and Lord, help us to to continue to to grow in our faithfulness to our spouses Lord, we can always be a better husband or be a better wife or be a better father or mother we can always be a better friend, a better church member, a better uh, church family member. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be uh, the best, uh, most unified church that we can be, uh, and to live in faithfulness and integrity in our relationships. Lord, I pray that we would also be disciple-making Christians, that we wouldn't just be satisfied with maintaining a a status quo, or just coming to church, or just giving an offering, but Lord, we would always be uh, interested in how we can uh, introduce one more person to a love relationship with. And so, Lord, help us have that mindset as we go forward. Lord, help us to be true priests, to be people who are faithful carriers of your work, um, who live faithfully in a relationship with you, and uh, who are uh, passionate about introducing other people to your, to your, your message. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless these, uh, this group this week. Lord, I pray in advance for next Wednesday that uh, those that come will just be able to, to hear uh, more from Malachi chapter 3 and we'll understand uh, what you have to say to us out of that text. Lord, so, we just pray this on your me